Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. I'm, I'm going to jump right in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 5. Oh, pulling out of Leviticus. Some of you did not know that this book existed, and I am now going to show you that it does. Amen. Uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 5. Verse 16, it says this, uh, he shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth and give it to the priest. Get that right there. He shall add a fifth and give it to the priest and the priest shall make atonement for him with a ram and a guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. I'm going to focus on that one line right there. It says, he shall add a fifth and give it to the priest. Uh, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to move on. Lord, I thank you. And Lord, I do pray tonight that you just position our hearts, position our minds, position our spirits, God, ready for a breakthrough. And we know that your grace is so much bigger than any giant and any battle that we may face. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, A few weeks back, our pastor, Pastor Jensen, preached uh, an amazing, brilliant sermon titled, The Mathematics of Forgiveness. And so I actually kind of tweaked his title and stole it a little bit, so I had to give him a shout out, but uh, Mathematics of Grace is what I'm going to title my sermon, The Mathematics of Grace, The Mathematics of Grace. And um, in this book and in Leviticus, they're talking about, and there's different offerings, there's actually five different offerings, five different sacrifices, but this specific one is the offering of atonement, the sacrifice of atonement. And in the Hebrew, it, it really, atonement just means to cover over or to appease. So there was, an, there was a, a, a mishap, there was a, a mess up, but atonement means that it's covered over, that it's good, that you're not guilty. And, and the number five in the Bible represents grace. And as we saw in this verse, it says that when a person would mess up back in the Old Testament, not only would they have to bring what they messed up with and bring the offering, but they would actually have to add a fifth onto what the offering was. They had to bring a fifth to be atoned. They had to bring something extra to be atoned. And, and, and so, like I said, the number five equals grace. And for some reason, preachers, we are all missing the gene that makes us good at mathematics. All of us. I've never met a preacher that's good at mathematics. I am not good at mathematics. Uh, in, 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 in class, I, you know, the, the teachers would be talking, and I'm thinking in shapes. I'm thinking in colors. I'm thinking in, in, in sounds. I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm in my own world, really. I'm, I'm just thinking about recess and what game I'm going to play and, and, and just thinking about how I'm going to change the world and, and all these things. And my teacher would ask me a question, and I would be absolutely, utterly lost, not knowing what formula to use, what letter to place in where, what number to place in where, because it did not make sense to me why the alphabet and numbers went together, because they don't. They're supposed to be opposite. Um, So there's a math. So what we're going to do today is we're actually going to do a math lesson with the Bible. All right. So this is a little bit out of my comfort zone, so I'm going to need your help. All right. So number five equals grace. So why? So four, the number four in the Bible equals man's weakness, where we're weak, where we fall short, where our shortcoming is. One equals God's divine power. So four plus one, man's weakness plus God's divine power equals five, which is grace. So we're going to put that up there. Got the equation. Look at that. Four, man's weakness. One, God's divine power equals five, grace. Two, two in the Bible represents a unified relationship between us and God and between each other. Plus three, three equals redemption. The day, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, which equals redemption. So for us to have a unified relationship with God and with others, we need redemption on the cross, which equals five, grace. So 
Two, unified relationship, plus three, redemption, equals five, grace. Um, and this is a big one because fractions were hard for me, but one-fifth equals 20%, right? Which I didn't realize that until I did the math on my phone. <laughs> fractions made no sense to me. I... Five, or four, man's weakness, times five equals grace, which is one-fifth. So in our, in our story today, they said to add a fifth onto it. Add your weakness, and then add something a little bit extra, which is, which is grace, which is, which is, it goes beyond what you can do. Grace is so much more, though, than atonement for your sins. See, we see grace, and we see, I, I, I'm forgiven, I'm set free, I'm washed clean, I'm made new, and that's what it does, but it is so much more. Grace is the empowerment for us to be the God version of ourselves here on earth. Grace gives us the ability to operate as somebody that we are not because we aren't operating on our power, but we are relying on God's power. Grace gives us the ability to overcome freedom. Grace, uh, grace gives us the ability to have peace and, and when, when, when there's, when there's uh, uh, chaos, hope when all hope is lost, joy when there is pain. Grace is a free gift and all can receive this gift. Yeah. It was grace that David used to kill Goliath. See, it was grace in, 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 in the picture of a stone. See, what did David do? David went down to the brook and he grabbed five stones, which equals grace. He, he grabbed five different stones. He, he, he picked up five of them, which equals grace. But what David did, which is different, and he shows us how do we receive grace? How do we receive this amazing gift? How do we receive this amazing empowerment? How do we receive this gift that God has given us to atone from our sins, to wash away our past, to make us new, and to help us walk out the calling that he's called us to do? He says, first what David did is he went down to the brook and he picked up five stones. But he didn't use five stones, he used one. He used only one of the five stones that, 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 he, that he picked up, and that represents that he actually recognized where he was weak with four, four is man's weakness, and he relied on God's divine power. See, faith is where we recognize where we are weak. We recognize where we are short. We recognize where we cannot do it, and we trust in saying, God, I need you to come in. Faith is where we go from the smallest details of our life to the greatest decisions, saying, God, I'm not going to rely on my strength. I'm not going to rely on my intellect. I'm not going to rely on what I know, but I'm going to rely on your divine power to help me through this life. Grace is when we, when we put our faith in God, and God's power comes and empowers us to overcome giants, to overcome overcome shortcomings, to overcome hurt, to overcome bitterness, anxiety, pain, all these things that come in our lives. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. See, David was far above the game. He was far ahead of the curve. He understood that when a giant came his way, it wasn't going to be his strength. It wasn't going to be his smarts. It wasn't going to be his ability, but it had to be God's divine power for this giant to fall. See, why was Israel so afraid? Because they were thinking in a natural mind. They were thinking that we cannot do this in our own strength, in our own ability. We cannot defeat this giant. But David began to think in a different way. He recognized where he was weak. He recognized where he was short. He recognized where he, 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 he didn't meet God's standard and saying, God, I cannot do this, but I need you to do this. And that is when grace kicks in, is when we recognize where we are weak. We recognize that we need God and we say, God, I trust in you. 
See, we cannot have grace if we don't recognize the need for God. We cannot have grace if we don't recognize and, and put our trust in the fact that God is greater than our problems, that God is greater than our shortcomings, that God is greater than our sin, that God is greater than our addiction, that God is greater than our pain, that God is greater than what that person did to you, that God is greater than financial hardship, that God is greater than family hardship, that God is greater than anything that this world can offer. And until we do that, grace is not unlocked. But there's something that happens when we unlock grace. And it's not just our eternal destination is sealed, which it is. See, the moment we put our faith and our trust in God, we are eternally destined for heaven. We are eternally destined to live in eternity with God. But there's, God desires us to have more than just that. I believe that God didn't just give us grace for our eternity, but he gave us grace for our mortality. He gave us grace for earth. He gave us grace to how, how, how well will you live here on earth? That you can live free. That you don't have to, 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 to walk in that addiction or that pain for the rest of your life. But you actually have the ability to live in a way that you never could without God's grace. Grace is much more than our eternity. God gave us grace... For here, for now, while we're living, while we're active, while we're breathing, while we're on this earth, for however long it may be, God gave us grace to be who he's called us to be. God gave us grace to walk in the way that he called us to walk. It says, as here, here as it is in heaven, which means we actually get the opportunity as believers to live as if we are in heaven in, the, in our souls. That our souls can be at peace when there's chaos around us. Our souls can be, have joy when there's just pain. There's, our souls can be free when everyone's speaks bondage our souls can walk in a freedom that no one else can walk in because we live with a grace so five things five times in the bible is this phrase bless the lord O my soul bless the lord O my soul that means there's five things i believe that god wants to speak to us through the psalmist of what grace gives us in our souls your soul is the center of who you are. It's your personality. It's your feelings. It's your emotions. It's, it, it's where every decision is made in this life. It's from your soul. It's what makes us human. It's what makes us have the ability to, to make decisions. And God is, it's also the place that gets hurt the most, right? It's the place that gets offended the most. It's the place that gets broken the most. It's the place that makes us human. It's our feelings. It's our emotions. It's our personality. It's our, it's our humanity. And I believe that within these Psalms that we actually have keys and five things that I believe, and there's so much more, that God's grace gives our souls here on earth. God, not, not, not for our eternity, but for here on earth, God grace gives your, God's grace gives your soul the ability to do these things. Number one, Psalms 103 verse one says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. See, in the Bible, when, when it repeats itself, it means it's important. And, and, and the first thing that grace gives your soul the ability to do is praise. Grace gives your soul the ability to praise because what grace does is it tells you that the pressure's off you. There's no more pressure off you, on you anymore. There's no pressure to be perfect. There's no pressure to get it right. There's no pressure to try to atone for everything you've done. There's no pressure to try to fix your family. There's no pressure to try to fix your life. There's no pressure to try to get free and, and, and work through the temp temptation and work through the addiction and work through the pain and work through the bitterness. The pressure is off because grace says, I take that from you and I put it on me. There's no pressure. So now I've given you a reason to praise. Praise is what, even if you are breathing in this room, 
room, you have a reason to praise. Grace gives us the ability to praise. Grace gives us the ability to lift his name up. Why? Because the pressure is off. It's not on you anymore. So if you have something to praise about for a moment and your soul has something to praise about, let's give God a praise tonight and say, you know what? God has given me a reason to praise. See, the way I think about grace in this, in this, in this, uh, that it gives me a reason to praise is when I was in school and the teacher would ask me to do something and I had no idea how to do it because me and my ADD mind, I wasn't paying attention. I'd be talking or I'd be drawing or I'd be looking at sports scores, thinking about who's going to win the NBA finals. And I'm like, God, let it be the Golden State Warriors in Jesus name. No idea what's going on. And, uh. You know, my teacher would give me assignment and say, hey, I need you to do this. And then my friend was like, I recognize you weren't paying attention. Let me do that for you and help you out. And I'd be like, praise the Lord. Grace has just come in human form. And that's you. That's what grace is like. The pressure's off. Oh, I didn't know how I was going to do that. But you came in and you did it. That's what God did for you. When there was a giant in your life, when there's anxiety, when there's pain, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know what I'm going to do. But God came in. Let me send you my son and he'll take care of it. Grace gives our soul a reason to praise. Grace gives us the ability to shout in the midst of pain and saying, God, you are good. Number two. Psalms 103 verse 2 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Grace makes your soul remember and revere. Grace makes your soul remember and revere. Uh, in, this, in this particular psalm, the psalmist was actually re re uh, referencing a scripture in Deuteronomy where God was speaking to the Israelites and saying, remember what I did for you. Remember when I pulled you out of Egypt. Remember when I parted the Red Sea. Remember when I gave you manna. Remember when I helped you through the wilderness. Remember, remember the goodness of God. See, when we remember how good God has been, it gives life to our soul again. He's speaking to when we're in pain. He's speaking to we're in the midst of a battle. When they're in, we're in the midst of a struggle, grace gives you the ability to remember how good God is. When everything else around you reminds you of how bad this earth is, grace reminds you of how good God is and how good he has been to you and how he's given you life, he's given you hope, he's given you freedom. And every step of the way, no matter if it looks, seems like he's been there or not, that he has. And God gives us the grace to remember where he's taken us from. We all have a testimony. No matter how long we've been in church, we all have a testimony. We all have something that God's grace has set us free from. We all have something that God's grace has pulled us from the gutter and pulled us to the, to the palace and said, let me clean you up. Let me set you on high. Let me give you authority. Let me give you anointing. Let me give you freedom. Let me give you prosperity. Let me give you hope. God's grace pulls us from the depths of death and hell in the grave and gives us life again. We all have a testimony about how good, God, good God's grace has been. And it reminds our soul about how good God is. That when we're going through it and we're in the middle of the wilderness as the Israelites were, remember, remember how good God is. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. We're not going to forget God's benefits in the good times. It's easy to remember God's benefits in the good times. But I believe David was talking about remembering God's benefits in the difficult times. When you have no answer, when you have nowhere to turn, when we have nowhere to go, the psalmist is saying, remember that God is still good. Remember that he has been faithful. Remember that he has been there. 
It helps you remember. Number three, grace lets our soul enjoy life. Some of us need this. Come on. Come on, just take a deep breath and just relax your shoulders. We can enjoy life. Psalms 103 verse 22 says this. Bless the Lord in all of his works and his places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God created creation for us to enjoy. God created everything. And it's, when it's talking about this verse, it's talking about creation. It's talking about nature. It's talking about, you know, the mountains, the sky, coffee. I love coffee so much. I love it. I have like a chemistry lab in my, in my kitchen where I like make coffee every single morning. It's amazing. And I believe that God's grace has given me the ability to worry about that. In life, or not to worry about that, sorry. To enjoy it, to enjoy it, to enjoy it. Freudian slip, all right. Uh, God's grace helps you enjoy the little things in life because what it does is it takes the pressure off the big things that you may not have it all together but knowing that God's going to work it for your good for those who love him it actually takes pressure off so we can enjoy creation we can enjoy conversation we can enjoy community God created us not for isolation but for communication community and and we actually get to sit together and enjoy conversation talking about how good God is that every single Sunday when someone is up here preaching and they're, they're pouring out the, their, their heart and they're pouring out what God is speaking to them, we should go back to our homes. We should go back to our coffee shops. We should go back to our workplaces and enjoy a conversation about what God said on Sunday. And that on Monday we're talking about, did you hear what he said? Did you talk about how good God is? Wow, man, this coffee, I know it's Folgers, but there's something different about it today. This is amazing. Don't drink Folgers. Anyways. We can enjoy the little things in life because we know God is taking the pressure off the big things. This is a big deal. Because some of us, we go through life and we're limping and we're limping and we're limping and we're stressed and we're worried and we're anxious all about what's next and what do we, uh, we have to pay this bill and we have to do that and we have to get this kid ready for college and this kid, I don't even know what to do. What are we going to do? I believe God wants us to enjoy that. Even your crazy kids, God wants you to enjoy them. Trust me, I'm their youth pastor. I love them. They're amazing. Send them my way. But because God takes the pressure off the big things, we can enjoy the little things in life. Your marriage should be enjoyable. The conversations you have, the dates that you have, the life that you live, because God's taking the pressure off and saying, I can help you live a healthy marriage. I can help you walk out a representation of Christ in the church and your marriage. The pressure is off because God's grace is helping you. Enjoy life. Enjoy living. Enjoy church. Enjoy community. Enjoy each other. Enjoy God. There should be joy in life. Where does it say in the Bible that the moment you become a Christian, you have to be like the most stressed out person ever? It doesn't. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord, which means that God comes into the depth of your soul when there should be pain, and He gives you something to enjoy, which is called life and living. I believe God's grace allows us to enjoy life. Philippians 4, 6, I I talked about it before. It says, don't be anxious about anything, worried about anything, but pray and be in supplication and with thanksgiving, give it to God and he'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. So how do we enjoy life? When things that make us anxious and worried come, we pray, say, God, I need you. God, this is what I need you for. I thank you that you're good. All right, here's the peace. I'm going to go enjoy a good cup of coffee. Amen. Come on. Number four, I'm almost done. Quentin, you can come on up. Number four, 
Psalms 104, verse 1. Psalms 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Grace gives you the ability to know who God is. God is in control. God is our king. And God is not only our king, but he's a great king. God is great. Circumstances in life may not be great. They may be difficult. But God, God is great. God is faithful. God is loving. And this is a big one. God is in control. What creates anxiety in life is when we're trying to control. We're trying to get somewhere that we thought we're, we think we're supposed to go. We're trying to do something that we think we're supposed to do. We're trying to act a certain way that we think we're supposed to act. And then we become anxious and worried because we aren't getting it right because we're missing the mark. Because life isn't based off how strong you are, how smart you are, how great you are. It's based off recognizing that we are all in the same playing field. We are all in the same boat. No matter how much money we have, no matter what family we come from, no matter, no matter where we were born, that we are all human and we are all broken. And we need God to take us to a place that we can never get. God is great in the midst of brokenness. God is great in the midst of pain. God is great in the midst of disappointment. The hardest place I feel is when you're disappointed because we thought this is how life was supposed to be. It did not work out. God, how good, how, how good can you be? This didn't work out as I planned. Even in that, God is good. He is faithful. He is loving. And grace reminds your soul of that. Because get this, there's going to be times that you need reminding your soul. There's going to be times in this life that your soul needs reminding that God is good. There's going to be times in, in this life that everything is going wrong and you need a reminder to your soul that God has been there, that God's grace is good, and that He is in control. Because in those moments, that's when the enemy is going to come and he's going to try to feed you lies and saying, God's not for you. Where's God at now? What, what, what's he doing now? What's his plan now? And there's a place that, 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 that grace can get you to no matter where you're at. See, Paul wrote the whole book of Philippians in chains. I talked about this last night in youth, that, God, that, that Paul wrote the, 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 the letter of Philippians in chains. God gave him this letter. In Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious. Do not be worried about anything. Paul was writing that from prison. That's what grace can do for you. In the depth of the dungeon, in prison, locked up in chains, you can still say to others, do not be worried. Do not be anxious. Our God can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. He can meet you in your darkest place. He can meet you in your broken place. He can pull you out from the depths of the dungeon. And no matter what your circumstances may be, it cannot determine your fate. In the last one, Psalms 104, verse 35. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Grace gives your soul victory. 
gives victory over your enemies. This is what the psalm is talking about. It gives your soul victory over its enemies. It says in the Bible that when Jesus died, he had victory over death, hell, and the grave. That means that death cannot even defeat you. The worst thing that can happen to us on earth is that we die. And that cannot defeat you because grace is victory. Your soul has victory. Your soul has victory today. And, and I, like I said earlier, I had a picture of there's some people in here tonight that you've been fighting the battle of life. And with each and every battle, you feel like you're losing. You feel like you're losing ground. You've been praying for that kid and that kid gets further away. You're, 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 you're praying for that family member and they get further away. You're praying for your finances and they get, and they get worse. You're praying for, for the anxiety to go away and you get more anxious. And all these things that you feel like everything I'm, I, I'm supposed to do, I'm doing, yet I still feel defeated. And we have to get to that place and reminding our humanity and reminding our broken place that though we may feel defeated, our God has already sealed the victory and your soul has victory. Our souls have victory over addiction. Addiction is no match for the Holy Spirit. Worry and lack is no match for the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, bitterness towards people, bitterness towards God is no match for the Holy Spirit. Because there's something about the Spirit of God that when your soul gets a sniff of it, it wakens it up. It's like when you're taking an afternoon nap after school and your mom puts cookies in the oven and when they're done, there's something that awakes you from your slumber. Something smells good. That's the Holy Spirit. When we, begin to, when we begin to sense the Holy Spirit, our humanity, our brokenness, when we are dead and we feel like we can't feel anything anymore, we're detached from God, we're desensitized, we're numb because of bitterness, because of brokenness, because of what this person did to us, because of what that person did to us, because of failures, because of shortcomings, because of shame. Shame will keep you in a prison. And it will try to keep you pressed down and pressed down and pressed down. And, and it almost gets to a place where we give up and just say, I guess this is who I am. Every decision I've made, that's who I am. But then there's a smell of the Holy Spirit that comes into our soul that reminds us, no, this is not who I am. I'm not defeated anymore. I'm not going to stay down. You can't keep me down. And there's something in your soul that comes back to life and saying, I need that. God, I know that I've fallen short. God, I know that everything is messed up, but there's something about your grace that I need right now. See, I grew up in church my whole entire life. I've been in so many church services, I can't even count. I've heard so many sermons and I can't even count. I probably heard a sermon on every verse in the Bible, but there was something that changed me and it was not a sermon. It wasn't a worship set. It was actually in my room at 16 years old. I was struggling, I was broken, I was hurt, and I was saying, God, I need something. My humanity, my soul was being pressured down to fitting a status quo, to fitting someone that I didn't think I should be, that I didn't want to be, but I felt like I had to be them. Even in a 16-year-old in his bedroom crying out to God, the Holy Spirit can meet you there. And was I perfect after that moment? Oh, no, you can ask my parents. I was not perfect after that moment. But did I trust God? I did. I 
I trusted God when I moved from Seattle to California. I trusted God when I was a senior year and I was trying to wrestle and go to college and I got hurt and I had to decide, to, do I go to college or do I go to Bible school? God, what do I do? I don't know. I had to trust in God when he moved me down here as a 20-year-old kid to be a youth pastor of a youth ministry. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. These parents are going to hate me. But that's where grace comes into play. We have, we will never get to a place in our intellect and to our strength where we are good enough and we are ready for God's calling. If God's calling is not big enough for, for us to rely on him, it's not God's calling. It's our dreams. But there comes to a place and a pain in life that, that you have to realize and we have to realize, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. And we can live in the roller coaster of life that is emotions, that is pain, that is ups, that is downs. I think life is the greatest roller coaster. I love roller coasters. Me and my brothers would go to Six Flags and we would ride roller coasters till we would be dizzy. From start to finish, we would, we would get up in the morning, we'd go ride roller coasters, it'd be closed and we'd go right back the next day on summer break when we lived here. It was amazing. Got really dizzy a lot, but it was amazing. Sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? Oh man, job promotion, this is amazing. Oh man, my spouse lost her job. Oh, 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 finances are coming in again. We're good. Oh, wait, but then th th this kid's starting to act up and, and, and they're going away. Oh, I, that, you know, I, I dealt with that anxiety. I, I, you know, I saw a counselor and worked it through. It's good. Oh, oh, but no, here comes the pressure again. Here comes a new temptation. Here comes a new, and we live on this roller coaster in our soul. Ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And, and, and quite honestly, I don't believe that's what God designed us to live like. Life and circumstances will be ups and downs, but I don't believe that God designed our souls to live that way. He says, At, here as it is in heaven. If that's what heaven's like, I'm all right. But I know that even in the midst of the, the, the lowest down and the darkest valley, we can still be walking like we are going up. This is good. God is good. God is good. Let's stand to our feet right now. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.